message tonight, and it's been heavy on my heart. We've been teaching through Psalms. We've been teaching through the Psalm 130 exactly. You see that right there on the screen. It's only eight verses long, and it's not a very long psalm at all. And we've been going through this in our teen class, and it took us about four weeks, and we made it through that. And then I began to prepare, knowing that I'll be preaching, filling in for our pastor as he's away, and, and began to prepare and study through. And I had several other messages, different directions that I thought I was going to go, but my mind kept running back to a, a specific verse within Psalm 130 that I just could not get off of my mind and could not get off of my heart. And the Lord began to develop that into what we'll have tonight. And I don't know if this is more of a Bible study tonight or a preach or a preaching tonight, but whatever it is, it's the Lord giving it unto me, and I'm just going to pass it along. Amen? Uh, he's given it unto me, and he's done a work in my heart, a challenge in my life as well. Uh, so Psalm 130, if you found your place, and if you can stand, if you're able to stand, that is, for the, the reverence of reading of God's Word, if you will stand. It's only eight verses long. We'll read down through here, and then we'll go back, and we'll read one specific verse together, and then we'll, Lord, with the help of the Lord, we'll preach tonight. Psalm 130, beginning in verse number one, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And an amen goes right there. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The, very, the verse I'm very interested in this evening, and I will we'll do our best to try to bring it out the way the Lord given unto me, is verse number three. If you'll look at verse number three, let's read verse number three together if we could, just for the sake of it. It's only eight verses, so we'll just read one of these verses together. Beginning in verse number three, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? I want you to meditate on that verse as we pray. You can be seated. We're going to pray. I want you to begin, even now, begin to think about that particular verse. And with the help of the Lord, we'll preach on that subject, who shall stand? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, so much once again for allowing us to be here. Lord, I'm unworthy to be in this position and in this spot, but God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you're willing to use someone like me. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help. God, give me clarity of thought, Lord. Give me clarity of mind, Lord. Help me to preach your word and give me every word to say that you won't say tonight, Lord, and help me to restrain from anything that you don't want said. God, I want to be a help and encouragement by the end of the night to your people. And Lord, as you've helped me with this psalm, and Lord, as we've studied through it many a weeks, and God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help me give it unto them, and Lord, that they are able to retain that which you've given unto me. God, I pray, Lord, that you just help us now. Lord, help us not to, not to see me, but see Jesus Christ, high and lifted up within this service. I am nobody. I am nothing. And you are everything. And what a powerful name and what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. And that's who we want to magnify tonight in the entirety of this service. Help us now as we preach. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. 
This psalm right here, Psalm 130, as I said, we've been working through Psalm 130 for many, many weeks now in our, in our teen Sunday school class, and really just verse by verse, just dissecting and comparing Scripture with Scripture and trying to squeeze everything we can out of every verse of Scripture. And as we've worked our way through this entirety, and even this morning, we kind of went through as a review with them, this phrase it kept ringing out in my mind from verse number three. In the latter part of that verse, when he says this, who shall stand? Understanding his position before a holy and just God, he makes this statement, who shall stand? And uh, that's what I want to bring out tonight, a little bit of context within these psalms. These are, when you get to Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, these are a lot of your shorter psalms. They are smaller in verse number, that is. They're uh, usually 10 verses or less. That's kind of what you're looking at. And these were songs. And many of your Bibles there, it has the psalm number. And then also right below that, you'll see it says a song of degrees. Or some of them may say a song of ascents. And these, these right here would be uh, the songs of ascent were a special group of psalms comprising of Psalm 120 through 134. And they, they are also, some, of, some people also call these the pilgrim songs. And why is that? Well, these, these songs here were, were sang a lot of times as the, they would be going, traveling up to uh, Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem was set on a high hill there. So as they would travel up, the, they would travel up. And as they were traveling up, they would sing a lot of these songs from 120 to 134. And each one of these psalms have an underlying theme that goes along with them. And as they would sing these, they would be going up and they would reminisce. They would either get encouragement or get challenged or just think back to how good God is. And each one would bring them something. And, and I made mention of this. And let me take a time out and mention this in the, the main service today as I made mention of this in our Sunday school class. And this is why it's very important that the songs that we sing, they have doctrine interwoven in them. Because the Israelites knew something about having doctrine in their songs. And as they would sing, they, they meant something. There was an underlying theme behind every one of them. And some of the songs, if we're not careful, we sing them just because it has a, a good melody or a good beat. But we ought to be careful of all the songs that we take in because it's going to either help us or hurt us spiritually speaking. And these psalms here, as they would be traveling up the hill to Jerusalem here, they would sing these songs as they would travel up. And even the priests sometimes, as they ascended the stairs into the temple, would no doubt be singing some of these psalms that, that we're looking at today, and especially Psalm 130. Now, the, the, this Psalm 130, its underlying theme is a prayer of repentance, I'm, I, it's not going to be a shouting message, I don't think, tonight, but if anything, it's going to be a sobering message because that's what it is. It's a humbling message, if you would. It's a prayer of repentance, and you kind of see the underlying theme as we just read those eight verses. It begins with the, the personal testimony of God's rescue from the depths of guilt, and from there, the author of, of this psalm ascends step by step to a place where he can give confidence to others to trust in the same God in whom he placed his trust in. Psalm 130 is marked by an awareness of sin and a powerful assurance of forgiveness. It's marked by a powerful awareness of forgiveness, but we got to understand there's also the awareness of sin. And I believe this psalmist is unpacking some things for us that we can apply even in today. And I don't have a lot of points. I don't have a lot of slides. This is the only slide that you have. So I want you to hang on with me as I just drill home and hammer home this one thought this evening, literally of this, of who shall stand. 
And this psalm here is a psalm of repentance, and we see an awareness of sin in verses 1 and 2, but yet we see a, an awareness of redemption. But I, I, I want to pause for just a moment and, and let us understand these things right here, that as we begin in verse number 1, we see here an awareness of sin. You see, it, it, we first have to understand that we are sinful people by nature, and we have to admit sometimes that even, think, even though we think we are good, we're still sin. We're still sinners. We still sin. We still mess up and we make mistakes. And this psalmist here understood a few things. Look back at the verses of Scripture here, if you will, with me. And we're just going to break our way down through these as we go down through. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Notice the depths. It's not from a mountaintop. It's not of a place of jubilee. It's not a, of a place of happiness. No, it's out of the depths. And here's where we understand the lowliness of this event, this sin, this iniquity that has taken place. We're, we, we, we are not made aware of exactly what has taken place, but regardless of the fact, sin has entered in, and here it is, the acknowledgement of the sin has come forth. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. Lord, verse number two, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. This crying out. Have you ever been in a position where you yourself have just cried out to the Lord? When you know you've messed up, when you know you've made a mistake, when you know you've wronged someone, when you've said something that you shouldn't and you've done something that you shouldn't, you've went somewhere that you shouldn't have, but all of a sudden you knew you made the mistake and the moment you realized it, that Holy Spirit can conviction began to work in your heart and you knew without a shadow of a doubt you should not be there you should not have said that you should not have done that and all these things began to rise up inside of you and that's where the psalmist is in the depths because sin will never take you high let me say that one more time sin will never bring you up sin will never take you higher it will always bring you lower so this psalmist here, in the depths of this loneliness, in the depths of this sin, in the depths of this iniquity, in the depths of mistake, can we say it like that? In the depths of sin, he is crying out, and he's no, he knows the one in whom he needs to cry to. Notice once again, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. He is pleading to the one in whom he, knew, he knows he has to stand in judgment of. Understand there's an awareness of sin. We see that, but there's also an awareness of the judge that is being present. The judge, the almighty God, who can stand? He says in verse number three, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Now let's back up in verse number three. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. And what is that saying, Brother Brandon? What that is saying there is if you lay out every sin that I have ever committed. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. It would be the idea of you and I, of, of, of me knowing every sin that you have ever committed. Let's stop and just pause and maybe make this real tonight. It would be like I would know every sin that you have ever committed. And I went on my computer and I began to type out all of Brother Timmy's sins that he's ever committed in his life. All of Brother Mike's sins that he has committed. How about all of my sins that I've ever committed? And all these lists is laid out. And my list will be long, let me tell you, honey. Listen, and these lists are made out. And But not only that, but then we post these lists for all to see. Mama. Would we be ashamed? Absolutely. 
Would we probably vacate the church if we were to post them here at the church and never come back? Sure, because there are some sins in our lives, in our past, that we've made mistakes. We've failed, and we've made mistakes, and we don't want anyone to ever find out the mistakes that we've made. But there is one who marks all of them. There is one who knows everything. And the psalmist here is understanding this. In the depths, he is crying out of this particular event, of this particular sin. But yet he brings a plea to his case. And he says this, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, Lord, who can stand? Think about this for just a moment. How can we stand before a holy and just God with all of our sins laid out before us? How can we stand hope to be acquitted? How can we stand trial hoping to get off scot-free, knowing all the wrongs that we have done and all the sins that we have committed, every bad thought, every immoral thought, every immoral action, everything is laid out. God knows everything. But let me tell you, honey, listen, if they're all laid out before him, the psalmist said it right. Who shall stand? Truth is, none of us. None of us could stand that trial and be found not guilty of our sins that we have committed. So as we look at this verse and as we, as we really begin to unpack it, we see the psalmist here understanding some things. He had an awareness of sin. He had an awareness of the judge. And then he brings forth this declaration of who shall stand. Lord, if you mark all the iniquities, if you mark all the sins that I've ever done, how can I stand before you? How will I ever be able to stand trial and prevail and be acquitted of all my sins? And here's the thing. There's not. We cannot in our own power stand that trial and stand acquitted. But I'm glad the psalmist doesn't stop there. If he stopped at verse number three, it would bring a little bit of worry into our lives. But this psalmist understood some things. So out of the depths, verse number one, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. I, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But notice the next verse. Notice the next verse. It says, but there is forgiveness with thee. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. I know I am. Because I have a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of sins in my past, a lot of sins, a lot of wrongdoings, and I still make mistakes. Can we say it? I still mess up. I still sin. Daily, I have to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Daily, I have to run to my Father and say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. And that's what the psalmist here is crying out. He's crying out from the depths, understanding his lowliness, understanding his position against the holy and just God. And as he is crying out, he is pleading a case and saying, how can anyone ever stand before thee? But, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And this is a sobering thought if we really began to think about this. That's, that there is such a record and, and our record is there and, and yet the, the, the times that we think our record is clean and clear and squeaky clean, it's not. We have a sinful past. Romans chapter number three and verse 23 reminds us of this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners, that every one of us in this room tonight, we fall short of the glory of God. James chapter number two and verse number 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Now understand that in today's society, we classify wrongdoings or sin within the church as a big sin or a little sin. 
And that's what we look at. That's how we look at it. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. There is no definition of a big sin or no definition of a little sin in the word of God. You will not find that, but what you will find is sin and the condemnation that comes from that and the guiltiness that comes from the one sin. Not from many, not from a lot, not from a few, but from the first sin. The guilty comes in. The verdict is reigned as guilty. In Romans chapter number five and verse number 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all, for all have sinned. Romans chapter number three and verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Tonight, for just the next few moments, and I won't be long, I want you just to think, ponder your own case your own case that stands before a holy God. I don't have a three-point outline tonight. It's one thought. Who shall stand? Where do you stand? How do you stand? How are you standing? Could you stand? Could you stand the trial if it were laid out before you and God? Here's the thing. The truth is we know that none of us could stand apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are found guilty of our sins and iniquities. And if we're found guilty of one, then we've broken all of God's laws. But the psalmist goes on here. He says this in verse number four, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And although we do stand guilty of our sins tonight, I want you to understand that there is forgiveness. I want you to understand tonight that that yes, we sin and yes, we make mistakes, but there is forgiveness with God. With man, that's another story. Man likes to not forgive people, not to forgive people for the wrongdoings, for what they've done. But with God, there is forgiveness with him. And the idea here of the forgiveness is the same idea that that, that Jonathan brought forth this morning out of the book of Joel. It was the rending of your heart. It was the humbling of yourselves. It's that true repentance. It's the idea of truly understanding and crying out from the depths of where you are in that sin or whatever that issue may be, that iniquity that has abounded, whatever it was, and you're crying out to a holy and just God to ask him for forgiveness, understanding that we know that if we held all of our charges against us that we would be found guilty but yet we have the opportunity of forgiveness and we know that in first john chapter number one and verse number nine if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but now let's pause for just a moment and analyze that verse because that does not give us freedom and liberty to go out and willingly sin people This is not a get out of jail free card for the Christian. Well, 1 John 1, 9, I know I messed up, but 1 John, no, no, no. If you willingly enter into sin, my friend, you might want to check up on that salvation a little bit and make sure that you are truly his child because God will direct you away and he will not tempt you. And yet he will also give you a way to escape every sin and temptation that comes your way. But 1 John 1, 9, I want you to pay close attention to the first couple of verses. If we confess our sins. So it's not just the idea of going to God and say, God, you know I messed up. You know what I did, God. Yes, he knows. He's omnipotent. He knows this. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He was there when you committed it. But here's the idea of if we confess our sins. And I'm thankful tonight that we don't have to run to a priest to do so. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful that I don't have to call up some human and say, Father, I have sinned. 
and buy an indulgence or get my sins absolved with monetary means. But I'm thankful that I get to run to God and say, God, I messed up. I know you know what I said. I know you know what I did. But I'm coming to you out of the depths, out of crying out from the depths of the sin and asking and pleading for forgiveness. Funny story very quickly here. Uh, Dr. Joe Arthur was here with us not too long ago. And if you know Joe Arthur, he likes to cut up. He's a cut up. In the pulpit, outside, he loves to laugh. And I was returning some keys to pastor's office, and I knocked on the door, and nobody answered. Nobody said nothing. I was like, well, preacher must not be in there. We're good, right? So I creak open the door nice and slow, and there's Joe Arthur sitting there at pastor's table, studying away, preparing to preach that night. And I looked at him. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, brother. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were in here. You didn't say nothing. He goes, no, I didn't, brother. I was like, I'm just dropping off the keys and I'll leave you alone, you know, let you finish study. And I dropped off the keys. He goes, well, since you're here, anything I can do for you? I, I, without missing a beat, messing with brother Joe as I would, I'd be like, father, I have sinned. <laughs> Immediately, it's the first thing that popped in my mind, right? I said, father, I have sinned. And I bowed my head and he goes, brother, he said, you can tell that to the Pope out there. <laughs> I love brother Joe, but I'm thankful that I don't have to go to a priest. I'm thankful that I don't have to go to somebody. I'm thankful that I get to go to God. When I mess up, I get to run right to my father and say, Dad, I messed up. Father, I messed up. God, forgive me. I've messed up. If we confess our sins, that is the key to that entire verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. The faithfulness only comes after confession, mind you. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and get this latter part. I'm thankful that, the, that it just doesn't stop there. God takes it a step further. He's not only going to forgive us of our sins, but hang on with me, honey. Look at this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for the restoration that comes after confession. Confession is made, forgiveness is given, and then the restoration process begins. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God's still in the restoring business where human efforts fail, where human efforts says there's no hope in that person. There's no hope in them. They keep falling into the same sin. They keep falling into the same vicious cycle. And look, there they go again. And look, there they go sinning again. And there they go messing up again. I'm thankful that God looks at us and says, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. And if they'll just run to me, I will be able to help them. I will not only cleanse them, I will forgive them and I will restore them. This psalmist here, as he is going through these emotional roller coaster, if you would, look at it with me if you get it one more time here, and then we're going to dive into the latter part of this. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. Imagine the pain and the agony and the woe as he is calling out to God in the middle of his sin, in the middle of this iniquity. And we understand that there's many other times throughout Psalms that people have cried out from the depths and cried out from, from, from all these different things. But this one here specifically is sin-oriented because of verse number three, he says, who shall stand? Out of the depths I've cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice and let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Listen now, he did not ask for an immediate answer for prayer either. He just asked for the Lord to hear him. Hang on with me. That'll play in just a second. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait and in his word do I hope. 
You see, the psalmist understood not only was there an awareness of sin, there was an awareness of the judge who marks all iniquities. And if he were to stand on his own merit, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and through salvation, if he stood on his own merit with his own blood, then he would be found guilty. But yet, get this now, he says, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait. We don't like to hear that word, do we? Nobody likes to hear the word wait, whether it be for a second or for a minute. I know my kids, for a fact, hate to hear the word wait, and your kids probably do. Likewise, when you say, wait, hold on, give me a minute, give me a second, right? But the psalmist says, I wait. Hang on with me. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. You see, we get to run to God with our problems. We get to run to God in the middle of sin. And 1 Timothy reminds us of that. 1 Timothy reminds us of this. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter number two and verse number five, for there's one God, one mediator between God and men, uh, between God and men, uh, the man Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter number two, verse number one, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous, and I'm thankful, I'm thankful that once forgiveness is given, it cannot be ungiven. Think about that for just a moment. Once a pardon is given, it cannot be undone. Once forgiveness is given, it cannot be undone. So this forgiveness begins the restoration process now, and, and then this restoration process now begins the waiting period. The waiting period in which none of us like, the waiting period that is frustrating sometimes, but we've got to understand where we've just come from. We've just messed up and we've just confessed our sin to God. We've just got it right. God just forgave us. He's given us restoration. And now we wait on the Lord to begin work once again. He says this in verse number five, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. Look at verse number six. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Notice the repetition in verse number six here, emphasizing this waiting period, but also emphasizing the anticipation that God will begin to work once again. He understands his position in the beginning, and now he's understanding that God will use him if he just waits on the Lord. He understands some things that he's gotten right with God. He's pleaded his case with God. He understands where he stands between a righteous and a holy God, and now he is waiting in that restoration process, waiting for the Lord. My soul doth wait. His soul is now waiting. And the idea here of this waiting period could be twofold. Number one, it could be a watchman, a guard that would stand guard and watch, watch for the help that's coming and watch for the enemy. But I, I like the latter portion, and I agree with many other scholars on this, that this waiting would be the priests that are waiting for the morning to begin the priestly duties and the priestly sacrifices and the priestly things that are done in that temple. It's the idea of waiting for God to move in their lives because of their obedience. That's the idea that we get here of this waiting period. Now on this latter part, and we're done, verse number seven, I want you to see this. Verse number seven, let Israel hope in the Lord for with, for, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We notice a transition now. 
In the very beginning of Psalm 130, the, the, the verbiage that is used is possessive. It's I and my. Notice once again, if you would, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. He begins to go down. And then there's a transition that takes place after this waiting period. And after this waiting period now, you'll notice in verse number seven, let Israel hope. It's not only his hope now, but now Israel can hope. And how does it transition from the individual now to the nation? Well, simply put, because he has experienced the hope in waiting on the Lord for that restoration, for that forgiveness. He has experienced this, so now he gets to go and declare it to the nation and to those that are around and to those that abound in the sin. Say, listen, if you'll hang on in there, if you'll ask God forgiveness, if you'll humble yourselves down and ask God to forgive you, he will forgive you. We understand this. He is faithful and just. If we ask, he will do. And he does that and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness and it begins that restoration process. The hope that this psalmist has in waiting on the Lord and the hope that he has in the word is now he can pass it on to others who are in the sin that they're involved in. Now I want to leave you with one verse tonight and we're done. One verse and I'm going to hit this and we're done. I want you to take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians because I believe we miss this a lot. We need to understand that we cannot stand apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way that we can stand this trial of our lives. And truly, it is a, it is a trial of our life. It is a trial whether we'll spend an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. And the only difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've, if you've accepted him, if you trusted the Lord as your Savior tonight, you can have assurance that you have an advocate with the Father. You have one who goes forth and pleads your case. And when the Father looks at you, he does not see your long list of sins and everything that you have thought and every bad thing that you've ever done. Oh, no, he, but he sees the blood of Jesus that covers all. Who shall stand? But I want to remind us of this as we depart this evening, and I'll be done. But I want to remind you of one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, chapter number 6 and beginning in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 beginning in verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor, uh, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners or shall inherit the kingdom of God. But pay close attention to this next verse. Verse number 11, and such were some of you. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that tonight. And such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified, but you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And as we go forth, as this psalmist does, as he goes through now and begins to remind the nation, not only himself, he's got the hope. He's looked to the word for the hope. He's got it. He's received the, the forgiveness of God and he's waiting in that restoration process and he looks forward to that hope. You and I like Likewise, get to carry that same message to a lost and dying world that there is hope. And listen, and not to be not to be pharisaical, not to say, oh, I'm better than you are, not to have our nose so high in the air. If it rained, we would drown. No, we should not come to people like that. We should look at them as a simple person. Such was 
we. That's horrible English, amen? But anyhow, such were some of us. We were in that same boat at one time before somebody shared the gospel with us, before somebody shared with us the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. We were in that same boat. We were entangled in our own sins, but we found hope. And when we found hope, we found it in Jesus Christ. And once we found hope, what happened? Do you remember the day that you got saved? You couldn't wait to tell everybody that there is hope for them, that there's hope for them, that no one is too far gone. This psalmist changes it from himself because he's received it, and now he's going to a nation. Likewise, you and I, we've received that hope. We've received Jesus Christ tonight. If you've received him, you've received the greatest gift that was ever given on this planet Earth. You've received Jesus, and you get to go and share that with others, that there is hope, that no one is too far gone, that no sin is too big, there's no sin too small. You haven't sinned too many times that God still will not accept you if you humbly come to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to save you. He will, but it has to be from the heart. It's a heart issue. So I'll leave you with this challenge as we go forth tonight. I told you I'd be short, and you're probably excited. Amen. We're going to get out of here before 730, and it's going to be great. But hang on with me. Don't leave without missing this thought. This psalmist says, who shall stand? And as we go about our busy days, and as we meet friends, and as we meet people in passing, think about them and wonder how they are standing. How are they standing? I'm not saying ask them what all their sins are. Or, you know, I'm not saying inquire their life, but just be soul aware. Can we say it like that? Be soul conscious. Be soul conscious as we go forth. If you've received forgiveness, you get to share forgiveness. If you've received Jesus, you get to share Jesus. If you receive Jesus, you have joy. Guess what you get to share? You get to share joy. All these benefits that God has given us, we get to share to others, understanding that we were once a sinner, that we were once lost and undone in our own ways. Understanding that once we stood, knowing that there's no way that we can stand our own judgment, that if we were to die, then we're going to split hell open. Because I remember that day 13 years ago down there when the preacher began to preach, when our preacher began to preach and my sins, realizing that my sins were going to take me to a devil's hell that my sins were going to separate me from God forever. That's whenever I understood and began to really, really understand God's love for me and what Jesus done for me and how he died for me, that I don't have to stand by myself. I will not have to stand that judgment alone. No, I have the blood of Jesus Christ now that covers me and he goes before me and I can be acquitted of all those things, not because of the goodness in me. There is nothing good in me. If there's anything good in me, it's because God put it there. But I can stand that trial now knowing in whom I have trusted in and whom I have put my faith in. So I ask the question tonight, if you're here and you are here, hopefully mentally as well, not just physically. I know you're tired tonight. But how do you stand tonight? How shall you stand? If you were to die right now, you do realize young people die all the time. It's a fact of life. Death is no respecter of persons, nor age, nor wealth. Death is coming for us all. The question is, when we take our final breath, how will we stand? Do we stand guilty? Or will we stand acquitted of our sins, justified of our sins, 
just if I'd never sinned. And the only way we'll stand justified is by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection. Trusting in him, putting our hope in him. There is hope tonight. There is hope tonight for you. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray, Lord, that you would, hate, that you would take this simple, simple thought, really, God, that we've given. And God, how I was challenged to examine my life. God, I pray that tonight would be the same, Lord, that many others would just pause for just a moment and they would examine themselves and and understand that there's a judgment coming, whether we're going to heaven or hell. There's going to be one or the other. But we have time now to choose where we're going and, and the choice is very clear and the choice is very easy to make. But God, if we really began to think about our lives and ask ourselves this question, how shall we stand? Looking at ourselves of who we are and what we've done, are we still standing in our own merit? Are we still trying to justify our good works? Are we still trying to justify our tithe and our giving? Are we still trying to justify our going to church as getting us into heaven, as going to get us uh, through that judgment? Or are we solely, solely trusting in Jesus? God, I pray, Lord, tonight that you would do that eternal work that only you can do. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, I want to ask one question. Just one. As we've taken the the few moments this evening and began to examine Psalm 130 and analyze it for ourselves, the question is, how will you stand? It's a simple question, but eternity hangs in the balance. How will you stand when you take your final breath? How will you stand before God? Do you stand on the blood of Jesus tonight? Or do you stand on your own merit, thinking that you're a good enough person to make it into heaven? Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask one question. If you're here tonight and you're unsure of your eternity, say, Brother Brandon, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I just, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I do not know him as a personal Savior. I do not know him. I can't think back to a time, a date, and a place when I bowed my head and confessed my sins and asked Jesus to save me. I am unsure of my eternity, but I'm willing to raise my hand tonight so you can pray for me. Would you do that tonight? Would you raise your hand? If you're unsure of your eternity, you're unsure you're going to heaven. Eternity hangs in the balance right now. How will you stand in the end? Let's all stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. Just another moment of invitation. Maybe God challenged you tonight with something that we've said, a verse of scripture that we've read. Whatever it may be, the altars are open and you can do business with God. If you're watching by way of live stream tonight, there's a number on the bottom of your screen that you can call. We have people that are waiting by those phones, willing to take that call for you, be able to pray with you. 
that would encourage you in the Word and be able to take the Bible and show you how you can go to heaven if you're unsure of your eternity. How will you stand? How will you stand tonight? Church, you can look up this way. Let's sing this song tonight. How many of you would attest to this, that Jesus is the sweetest name? Oh, yes. I want you to sing it out tonight. Sing it out with everything you got. Lift up your voice with everything. Here we go. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same. As his lovely name And that's the reason why I love him so For Jesus is the sweetest name I 